Hi, everybody. Dick Vitale. Hey, make sure you listen, man, to Lockdown Blue Devils with J.J. Jackson. He's awesome, baby. You are Locked On Blue Devils, your daily podcast on the Duke Blue Devils, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody, and welcome back into another edition of the Lockdown Blue Devils podcast. My name is JJ Jackson. It's so great to have you here with us on our show once again, our Wednesday podcast previewing tonight's game versus the Wake Forest Demon Dinkins. Today's show brought to you by NetSuite. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. Head to netsuite.com slash NCAA for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. On today's show, absolutely thrilled to bring back on David Shoemate. He is the voice of the Duke Blue Devils, the play-by-play announcer for men's basketball. Several thoughts about this Duke team so far this season, and we'll get into a couple of other Duke topics with David as well. Make sure you follow us on Twitter. Be sure to subscribe and follow the podcast wherever you get them as well. We want to welcome in David Shoemate now into the program. David, Happy New Year to you. I hope you're doing well. Thanks for coming back on the podcast. Doing great. Good to be playing again. Uh, thanks for having me on. Good to see you again, JJ. Absolutely. It is. Uh, it's great to be playing again after having a couple of uh, postponements and that sort of thing. What was that like for you as the play-by-play announcer, someone who's got to get ready to travel and broadcast these games all of a sudden and in a moment's notice, everything can kind of change. No, it, it, it is a, a little bit surreal when you when you see the, the team go through it and, and you know it's floating out there and, you know, Duke obviously had a slight taste of what it was on the opposite side of it right before the holiday break when they rotated through three different opponents before finally setting on Elon on that final Saturday before the Christmas break. You get the Virginia Tech game in, but you you do feel like something's percolating just watching the news and seeing stuff happen. And unfortunately, when the guys come back, a a large number of them test positive and and you find out that you're not going to be able to play against Clemson. At that point, you have a pretty good idea that you're probably not going to South Bend either if you kind of just start doing the math in terms of how the protocols were it was a little bit strange because that was right when the CDC was changing their protocols in terms of advising coming out of isolation so those two things kind of blended together but you also have to keep in mind and I think a lot of people forget this and we're talking about COVID I know we'll talk about basketball in a second (laughs) but uh, the CDC recommendations also have to coincide with what the local recommendations are so Duke has to work with Durham County to make sure they're complying with that. Duke has their own protocols in terms of universities. So there were so many layers to this. I think a lot of people were like, oh, well, you can jump back in and play Notre Dame. It's not that simple because it has to break down whether people are asymptomatic, symptomatic, and, and how do you work your way out of protocol? And look, this isn't professional sports, so you're always going to err on the side of safety. Um, so, yeah, it was strange getting two games out. And if you look at it from a positive side of things, you know, if you're going to have to have a pause, why not have it at the back end of a holiday? I know the guys right. didn't get to stay home with their families. They were back here, but you know, you, it just becomes an extended break. And because of coach K has talked about this because of the sheer number of guys that tested positive when they came back and it kind of ran through the whole program that knock on wood, um, hopefully from a Duke perspective, it won't be something they'll have to deal with here for the remainder of the season. Unfortunately, around the timeline of that Virginia Tech game, Coach K starts to speak up, David, and addresses the forfeiture policy that had been put in place, understanding that, again, this is we'll get to basketball in a second, but things were becoming uh, more prevalent. It was becoming a larger, larger issue with postponements and that sort of thing. And, and fortunately, they were able to change it back to postponements as opposed to forfeitures so that these games could be made up at a later date and we've seen this Notre Dame game has now been rescheduled and that sort of thing but uh, just glad that this isn't resulting in a loss 
for many of these programs because so many of the schools are all doing the right things and yet you can still they're vaccinated that sort of thing and can still come away with these uh, positive tests and so fortunately no losses on the schedule that you didn't earn on the floor yeah there's no question i think it at some point, I don't know if it's ever said explicitly, but you got the feeling over the summer that a lot of these policies were put in place uh, to incentivize vaccinations, to say, you know, go get vaccinated and, and have a certain number of players. But when you get, particularly to me in the basketball, it's a different animal than football, right? You're dealing with a lot fewer student athletes. You're also dealing with a lot fewer scholarship student athletes, even within that subset of group. And as you said, so many of these teams are vaccinated. A lot of them are boosted. Um, and it, from what we've learned about Omicron, you can still get infected. So it, it got to the point where you're starting to punish teams for being sick. And that's just kind of antithetical um, to what you want to do as a competitor. And coach even talked about this. He didn't want to win from a forfeit. He, he wanted to go out and compete. And fortunately, they came up with some protocols um, to kind of lay out what the policies are, because you do want to have a minimum standard to say, you know, if you have this many people and you have a coach, you should go and play um, to have a universal standard for everybody. And I know coaches also advocated for a universal standard in regards to testing. We're not there yet because each team kind of has their own protocols in terms of who they test and who they don't test. Um, but no, there's a lot of different ways to do this, but I, I do think getting away from the forfeits was a good policy. If you can't reschedule something, just call it a no contest. The last time we had you on the program, again, this is David Shumate, the voice of the Duke Blue Devils, play-by-play -play announcer on the Blue Devil Network, was right before the start of the season. We were still in the heart of football, touched mm -hmm. on David Cutcliffe's team going into the latter portions of their season and uh, getting ready for a big contest versus Kentucky. I would dare say that you've had some fun with these first 14 games, David, getting to watch this team play up close and personal. No, it, it, there's no question. I mean, you mentioned Kentucky and – there's been an interesting blend this year of the historic nature of it being Coach K's final season, his 42nd season here at Duke and everything that's going through that. And probably the crescendo of that um, was that Kentucky game uh, and what Madison Square Garden has meant to him and the emotion that he had when he left the floor there and the emotion he had before the game when he was honored in the back. You could tell, obviously, it was season opener, the opponent, the Champions Classic, final game in the Garden, um, that it kind of hit him a little bit. Similar deal with the home opener against Army. I would say maybe not at the same level. Um, but now the, the season's kind of changed where you kind of into the grind of the season. And the history is still there. It's ever-present. But there's so many things dealing with from a basketball perspective, from a COVID perspective. Um, but the highlight of the season so far has to be that game in Las Vegas against Gonzaga. I mean, that's one of the better college basketball games I've been fortunate to be at, um, to witness two high-level teams um, two teams making plays back and forth and, and two teams I wouldn't be surprised at all uh, to see a little bit later this year in New Orleans. But that was a treat. And to see, you know, Bancaro just take over a game single handedly for about a five minute stretch in the first half was unbelievable. Because It's not like Gonzaga can't play defense, but but no one could stop him. Um, and to see Mark Williams in elite level. And then the second half was all about the maturity of a Wendell Moore Jr. Joey Baker making some shots. Um, and that's the piece that I think maybe has the potential um, to see this Duke team go further than maybe some of these last few seasons where they've had a tremendous amount of one and done talent, uh, but maybe not that added layer of experience. And, and it's hard not to see that in Wendell Moore Jr.
No, for sure. Wendell's been unbelievable. The improvements he's made going into his junior season. And I got a lot of smiles on my face, just thinking back to the wins and the moments that we've already seen this mm -hmm. year. Uh, that Gonzaga game, you're right, has got to be the highlight of the season. So many big uh, future players on both teams that you'll see playing at the next level one day. And who knows, we may see the matchup again in March. You mentioned uh, Bancaro and, and what he's kind of been through this season in those two games in particular that we highlighted, Kentucky and Gonzaga. Cramping became more of an issue, David, and uh, we heard the report watching the broadcast. Of course, you're calling the game on the radio side of things uh, from Holly Road that, that this is someone that the Duke sports medicine staff and science staff was able to find out loses seven pounds a game. I'm just in awe of what they're able to do. Uh, earlier, they talked about the, the studies of watching Wendell Moore Jr. run, and the reason he's been more athletic this year is just reteaching him how to run and not kind of spread his legs out so far and foot going the opposite direction. What's it like seeing that staff work up close because they don't get a lot of recognition, and I'm glad they have this season to kind of let fans know exactly why the players are going through certain things. Yeah, you're talking about guys like Nick Potter and Jose Fonseca who work behind the scenes. Jose Fonseca is the lead trainer, Nick Potter. Uh, kind of the sports scientist within the team, a physiotherapist, but does so many incredible things. And as you said, um, there's so much data now with the catapult system and things they have in terms of analytics, in terms of load management and things like that. Obviously, guys are weighing, uh, they're finding certain drinks for Paulo to have to try to manage that. And, and Will Stevens has got involved, who's a strength and conditioning coach, because one of the things you have to manage in this is, you know, that game in particular, it's what it was like 1030 Eastern tip. So it's like 730 out in Las Vegas. Well, the team obviously goes around and shoots out, shoots around earlier in the day. You're in the desert. Uh, you probably don't realize you're dehydrated because it's a little bit cooler outside. I mean, all these different things come into play. And Paulo is a guy that likes to work. I mean, every day after practice, I was visiting with him the other day. Well, he'll stay an extra 30, 45 minutes and, and shoot, get his individual work in. And as you said, he sweats like crazy and it's just kind of one of those things. So they, they've gotten a better handle on how to manage that, how to manage his workload, particularly on game day so that he doesn't, uh, you know, kind of hit that point where he redlines because he plays so hard throughout the game and it feels like that's in a much better place, but no, to, to see Nick Potter work in particular, because he's the guy who works with the players when they're coming back from injury, once they've had their surgeries and they're going through the rehab, and the creativity of some of the stuff he comes up with, with the bands and, and different techniques, whether it be blindfolding guys to work on mobility, all sorts of stuff is just incredible. And it's one of the things that I think really separates this program. We want to talk about the ACC play so far for the Duke Blue Devils and continue to look ahead to tonight's game versus Wake Forest. Again, you're listening to Locked On Blue Devils. Let me take a quick moment, though, to tell you about our friends over at Built Bar. It's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar into your plan. Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, for 15% off your first order. Amazing flavors like coconut almond, peanut butter brownie, raspberry, cookies and cream, and more. Built.com, promo code LOCKED15. Hey, Duke fans, it's JJ Jackson with an incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about. I want to tell you about GetUpside. My listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free GetUpside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code SCORE, S-C-O-R-E, and get a bonus 25 cents back per gallon on your first fill up. Listeners are getting up to two to $300 a month in cash back, and there's no catch. The cash gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime by your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card. Free GetUpside app, promo code SCORE, S-C-O-R-E.
here on Locked On Blue Devils. So thrilled to be chatting once again with David Shoemate, uh, one of my good friends. I love listening to him on the radio side of things with the Blue Devil Network. Him and John Roth do such an entertaining job broadcasting the game, and you really feel the big moments for the basketball team. And uh, what a thrill it must have been for you, as we mentioned, coming off the COVID pause, first time in 2022, back inside Cameron Indoor Stadium, David, and you got to see another uh, ACC game versus Georgia Tech. No, and you know, it was interesting. You're coming off the COVID pause, and I would say, um, and you know this because you follow it so closely, probably the Miami game was closer to what Cameron is yeah. uh, than Georgia Tech was because almost felt to some extent like the university was still working their way back. Classes have been virtual the last few weeks, and, and students are still working their way through their testing protocols. So the Georgia Tech game had an interesting vibe. It was a 9 o'clock tip on a weeknight, so you had that too. Um, and it was a bit of a grinder, I think, is the best way to describe it. Duke, I mean, Duke obviously got the win 69-57, to 57, but it was by no means crisp. Uh, you could tell they were exhausted. Georgia Tech had had some COVID issues of their own. Um, but it was a, a gritty performance and, and a good defensive performance to, to find a way to do just enough to win. And it was a continuation. And, you know, we saw this continue against the Miami game when he had 10 points as well. But the emergence of A.J. Griffin. And I think that he was a guy who popped at different times early in the non-conference schedule, but by no means was it consistent. Well, here over the last five, six games, it becomes consistent. And, and he's that six guy, however you want to look at it, whether it be a starter or a guy coming off the bench, I think is going to be huge for Duke moving forward because he has so many signature plays. You think about when Duke had that run against Virginia Tech, he punctuated the 13-0 run with a dunk. Well, you could make an argument he had the knockout blow against Georgia Tech with a similar style dunk on a cut. Mm-hmm. Um, or I believe it was Wendell who found him along the baseline. So those are the type of plays he can make. And and then for me, I think he's the best three-point shooter on the team, and I think that's going to be a wrinkle that he can bring to the team as well. Keels is obviously a really good shooter. Um, got a look at the end of the game against Miami, but Trevor expends so much on the defensive end um, that I do – you know, it's hard for him to maintain it offensively, I think, obviously elite, but he, he works so much that um, it's going to be nice, I think, to have a complimentary piece and A.J. Griffin as well that can be a shooter that can help as well. So I do think there's a lot to take from that Georgia Tech game in terms of this team's grit. I think that's one of the takeaways. I don't want to skip ahead if you were going to get there from the Miami game as well. Uh, uncharacteristic, right? 17 turnovers, 13 in the first half, probably had a chance to build a a pretty substantial lead in that first half, if not for the turnovers. And, and this has not been a team that has turned it over all year long, uh, talking about Duke. And I think that kind of speaks to, and not to take anything away from Miami, they were incredible. They played awfully well um, and they deserve to win. But I do think that uh, whatever you want to call it, sloppiness, what have you, kind of speaks to coming off of the COVID pause because there's layers to it. it. One is obviously fatigue and trying to get your legs back. Um, but timing and, and that consistency of playing with each other. Uh, coaches talk about primarily this week on the defensive end of the floor, but I think you see it on the offensive end of the floor where it's just not sharp. Um, and I think they're working their way back. And I think that speaks to still got a little bit to go in terms of working their way out of this COVID nonsense. Um, and, and you just hope that that gets here sooner rather than later. Yeah, I mean, in that game, looking back and thinking about that that Duke game versus Miami, Wendell Moore had had the seven assists, but the six turnovers were so uncharacteristic versus Georgia Tech. Uh, Wendell's a guy who's carried Duke. He's an All-American player at this level right now. And in right now, in my opinion, the front runner for the ACC Player of the Year. Bound to have a couple of down games every now and again. Still finished with 12 points, 12 rebounds. 
versus Miami, uh, but some some turnovers that we weren't used to seeing from a number of guys. You mentioned they really cleaned it up in the second half, only four in the second half, and shot even 57%, I think, in the second half versus Miami. But it just felt like they were kind of in that rut. The first half was probably in the back of their mind, and Miami was able to gain confidence from that and make key plays down the stretch. Well, and Miami is an elite, perhaps the most elite uh, offensive team in the ACC. And as you said, Duke cleaned it up in the second half, but Miami shot an incredible percentage in the second half and um, made some, I'll call them incredible shots. Um, And, you know, that happens. Teams get rolls and they hit some big time buckets. Wong hit a huge three when Duke was up five and Cameron was going crazy. And um, Moore hit a big three when the Blue Devils went zone for one possession. So you got to give some credit to them, but you're right. And in, in that window where Miami was making everything of uh, the Bootles, had certainly cleaned it up, but feels like they missed an opportunity in the first half to get some separation and to seize control of the game. Um, so in the second half, as you said, Miami now has their heads up uh, a lot of experienced players, a lot of six year guys on that team because of how the transfers work these days. Um, and then late in the game, you know, you, you go up three with 44 seconds to play after Ben makes four consecutive plays on, on either end of the floor. Uh, and it looks like, Duke has won the game uh, to some extent. And Coach talked about that after the game that he kind of pondered aloud, wondering if the team felt like they had won the game at that point because you come down at the other end. Unfortunately, Jeremy slips, obvious foul, knocks the guy down. And and then another one of those incredible shots where Moore just kind of flips it up and it goes in. You get the miss. You don't pull a rebound. You get a bucket. And all of a sudden, the next time you're touching the ball, you're down one. Um, Got some good looks down the stretch. Who knows if Keels was fouled or not? I mean, you can debate that all day. but. I don't know. It was disheartening because it was a game that probably Miami deserved to win. Then you kind of feel like you stole it. um, And then Miami steals it back, but that's the way it goes in conference play. I think when you're not playing, you just get so excited and you have these thoughts of how are they doing this? Oh my, what do you, you know, don't foul, don't foul in that situation. But Roach did slip. It was crazy. I've never seen something like that before. Just an untimely slip and his body just so happens to fall into more. And then you got to credit him a weird underhand layup that he had there that kind of went in and, and uh, kind of created more momentum for Miami there at the end. Yeah, there's no question. And I think you're right. Cause I think a, a lot of people will say, I, I personally don't think Jeremy was going to foul him until right. he fell. I mean, it, it wasn't because obviously they know no threes, no fouls. Now do you want to just let him go uncontested and give the layup? Maybe. I mean, I don't know. People can debate that un, until the end of time. Um, and then you have a good, really good chance at a rebound. And I mean, you can, you can parse it all day however you want to do it because there's there's so many different things you can look at in this game of weird stuff that happened and caroms and all that sort of stuff um but you know duke scored 74 points on saturday night and i think miami only turned it over uh, five times in the entire game and i think that speaks to a little bit of, of this code factor because of how duke has played defensively up until that point and they weren't getting those easy looks off of offense i mean points off of turnovers were 17 to 2 favoring miami that has been anathema to how Duke has played this season. And I, I don't really expect that to be a trend um, because I think the Blue Devils are going to get back to, to where they were, you know, before this COVID pause. And like I said, I don't want to take anything away from Miami, but right now it's more about Duke and what the Blue Devils need to do moving forward because tonight it, it's game time. I mean, Wake Forest is, is really good and another really good offensive team does it differently uh, than the way you look at how Miami plays. Wake Forest is much bigger in terms of how they play in the post. A lot more dependent on the three, but um, it'll be interesting to see because obviously on the road, the, the Joel will, will certainly be packed. No doubt about that. It's a Wednesday edition of Locked On Blue Devils. Let me uh, talk about Wake Forest 
here in just a moment. Before we do that, though, David, I did want to add in one more point here about Coach. We mentioned before the Kentucky game getting recognized and that sort of thing versus Georgia Tech. Heard the fun story afterwards from Josh Pastner, and then Coach K spoke on it himself about Bobby Crimmins potentially being added to the bench for this upcoming game. And uh, unfortunately, due to some health reasons, wasn't able to make the trip. What's it kind of been like going uh, throughout the season, knowing it's his final year? Because that was a talking point that we talked about even when we learned the news, David. But now that we're here in the season and trying to see, okay, our, our team's going to recognize him in any way. And when you hear all these cool stories in ways that like, yeah, Bobby Crimmins hasn't coached at Georgia Tech in forever, but he's still one of the more significant figures when you're telling the history of Coach K at Duke. What's it all been like? No, it's a good thing for you to bring up because now that the team is into ACC play, you have these moments where it's always ever-present from a Duke perspective that this is the last season and, and Coach is going through it. You kind of get lost in the wins and losses and want to compete. But conference play has brought about a little bit of a reminder, particularly when you face these teams that – for whatever reason, this is not the year you're going to play them twice. So Virginia Tech, Georgia, you get these little reminders when they pop up. It's like, oh, yeah, this is Georgia Tech's last opportunity. Now, Wake Forest obviously is going to come to Cameron later this year. So there'll certainly be something I'm sure they'll do in the Joel Coliseum. But maybe Steve Forbes will wait until they come back to Cameron to, to do whatever he wants to do in terms of paying tribute to coach. But you, it's, it's kind of this journey where you lock into the season. Then you get these really strong reminders that this is it, whether that be conference opener against Virginia Tech, when it hits you, wow, there's only 10 games left in Cameron. You know, the elephant in the room, you lose a home game to Miami. Okay, well, that kind of crystallizes this will not be an unbeaten home season to close it out for coach. So in that way, some of the losses sting a little bit more um, because there's not a chance to go back and undo that. This is this is the end of the line with that. Um, but by the same token, I get the sense being around coach and being around this team. And he talked about this over the summer. And I think a lot of people kind of expected this because how he is about not wanting to use the word last and, and wanting to make it about this journey. He's living that right now. I can tell he is deep in it with this team and, and probably not even thinking about the finality of it all. Will he have moments down the stretch? I'm sure he will. Certain things might hit him, whether it be ACC tournament, whether it be obviously that final home game against Carolina, but He's deep in, in figuring out what's going on with this team, getting them back to where they were, getting the legs fresh, and doing what they need to do to set the table to get the ultimate curtain call that, that happens in early April. So, I mean, I think there, there's little flashes, but it, it's not the overarching thing that maybe it was when we were up at MSG. The ultimate curtain call with our sights on six. I've got chills thinking about uh, what it could be at the end of the year, David. That's awesome. I want to talk about Wake Forest in just a moment. do want to take a moment, though, to tell our listeners about NetSuite. This is it. You've got the putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software. To see the full picture, you've got to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle, the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR planning, budgeting, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. 93% of surveyed businesses increase their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 28,000 businesses already use NetSuite, and right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program for those ready to upgrade at netsuite.com slash locked, L-O-C-K-E-D. Head to netsuite.com slash locked for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. 
Final few moments here with David Shoemate, the play-by-play voice of Duke basketball, getting ready for a game tonight in Winston-Salem. Another road trip for you, David, as you head across the state to take on the Wake Forest team and Dinkins. We mentioned their offense a little bit earlier. I don't have the numbers in front of me. This was a Wake Forest team that wasn't projected to finish so well in the ACC. And really in college basketball, nationally, people are talking about what Steve Forbes has been able to do this year at Wake Forest. Yeah, and he it's you know, he's taken advantage, I think, of the way college basketball is now in terms of transfers. So if you come in as a first year head coach, obviously he's in a second year now, it's a little bit easier to flip the roster because you can bring in a bunch of graduate transfers or, or transfers from other programs. And Alondis Williams is kind of at the top of that list and what he's been able to do at Wake Forest, a kid that's already got 81 assists or experienced player averaging a little more than 20 points per game. Um, a bunch of other guys he's added. He's added some big guys inside. Um, and he's got two guys returning that one in particular, Musius, that has really kind of reinvented the way he plays in terms of this guy that's already taken over 100 threes on the season and, and hitting about right at 40% of his three point shots. So they're an interesting team because of the way they can spread the floor, they can play in the post. Um, they've got the guys who can drive and kick, and they've got the guys who can hit the three. And they are electric offensively, 80 points a game. I mean, we talk about three-point shooting, averaging eight threes per game. So it's a really well-coached team. And you even saw it last year. I know Duke won both games against them uh, to some respect in dominant fashion. But you could already see the system that Forbes was putting in place as a team that played discipline, had an idea what they wanted to execute. And I expect them to, to play awfully well, particularly on their home floor. I mean, you think about what they've done. Yes, an overtime win against Syracuse last time out. But before that, they hammered Florida State by 22. So, I mean, it, it certainly catches your attention, a team that's 13-3. and three, and, and as you said, there's been a little bit of a shuffling of the deck here in January of who you thought was going to be at the top of the ACC in October to who's at the top of the ACC right now. We're talking about the Wake Forest game coming up a little bit later tonight. Again, Duke trying to bounce back from their loss versus Miami, a 76-74 defeat by the Blue Devils. Offensively, from what you've seen this season, where is Duke at its best? It's a great question. And I think it, it's at its best when it can be versatile um, because you, you want to be able to play big, but you also have that, you want to call it a closing lineup, small ball lineup, what have you, where Paulo plays the five and, and AJ comes in and, and plays the four. I, I think they're at their best when both of those are working because I think some people have been in favor of one versus the other. Whether well, you know, you like Mark Williams because you like the rim protection, you like the dominance inside. Well, when you bring in Griffin, that creates another wrinkle. And then Paulo becomes a nightmare to match up with with the five for the other team because now they've got to come out on the perimeter and guard some. And that opens up all sorts of driving lanes and post moves for him. So I think Duke is at their best when they can switch that up. There's the obvious point of it keeps you fresh because you're playing more guys. Um, but uh, it also allows more guys to be engaged in the flow of the game and not feel like it's just on five to, to win it and to take advantage of, of some of the matchups of, there aren't a lot of guys that have a seven-footer with the length of a, a Mark Williams or a, a Theo John that can come in and be a shot blocker. So um, I know I'm talking on the defense and you asked about offense, but I think Duke is at their best when they're versatile and not so reliant on, you know, dump the ball to Paulo and, and see if he can go score. When they can get other guys involved, I think is when they're at their best and having their balance. And I was talking with Coach about this yesterday, and you were talking about this, the last couple of games have been uncharacteristic for Wendell Moore Jr., for Duke to be at their best on their offensive end of the floor, it's him kind of running the show and him getting other guys involved and, and his decision-making of when to find his own shot versus when to find somebody else. 
you know, through the first 12 games of the season, that was at a really, really high level for him. Not that it's been bad the last couple of games, but it hasn't been at that elite level. And I think when Wendell is playing at his best, that's when Duke is going to be at their best. That was an instance where I asked the question and didn't really have thoughts myself on how I would have answered that if our roles were switched. But the more you were talking there, I was like, no, he's exactly right. The Duke team's been so much fun to watch offensively when they are versatile. And then the number one thing in both of those sets is when Wendell Moore Jr. has mm-hmm. the ball in his hands and is making plays for others or scoring himself. My, oh, my, how do you stop Duke? No, that's exactly right. And when you think of what Coach has built over the years with this motion offense, it's predicated upon it's hard to scout Duke because it's not like they're coming down and running these five, six, <laughs> seven, eight, nine set plays. They're concepts and their ideas, you know, to create a mismatch on one side of the floor, numbers advantage on the other side of the floor, and then let go, let guys go make plays. Now, within that, we saw it against Miami in the first half. There's a potential for turnovers if it's out of sync and it's not working because it's not do X, Y, and Z, and it's going to be here. There has to be a chemistry. There has to be an innate ability to have a feel for where someone's going to be, what sort of move they're going for in that moment. And that's why the timing is so important and why the decision-making is so important. There's a reason why the primary ball handler, what do you want to call it, Jeremy Roach or Wendell Moore Jr., whoever, um, with this team, when you look at Duke's championship teams, that's kind of been what makes them go. And Wendell, I think, has, has certainly the ability to be that decision maker, if you want, on the floor that can get the offense going. This has been an awesome edition of Lockdown Blue Devils here on this Wednesday, getting you set for tonight's game versus Wake Forest. Make sure you follow David on Twitter at DukePBP. Uh, he always sends out the first quotes from Mike Krzyzewski when they've gotten a chance to chat with him following the game, uh, which is where I know how Coach K is feeling about the game after the fact is is via David on Twitter. I'm not going to be able to sit down actively in front of the television tonight and watch the contest, but that's okay with me because on the iPhone I've got the Duke Blue Devils app, so I'm going to be dialed in to uh, David in the broadcast there. Tell folks about the broadcast, David, and where they can find it. No, for sure. Obviously, we've got a, a ton of local affiliates. You can find that on goduke.com. But a new way to listen this year, Varsity Network app, you can listen for free. Just favorite the Blue Devils. It sends you a notification every time uh, the teams are playing, the men, the women, football, what have you. Coaches shows all that. You can fire right up. So it's the Varsity Network app is, is a great way to listen as well. What else is happening throughout the week? So if people want more and more and more Duke basketball, David, what do you guys have going on at, at the Blue Devil Network these days? Yeah, no question. We've got uh, – Weekly radio shows on the men's side every Wednesday. Won't be one this week, obviously, because there's a game, but you can catch them in person at the Bull Durham Bar at the Washington and Golf Club. If you're in the uh, Durham area, you can also catch them, as I said, every Wednesday from 7 to 8 o'clock along the radio network. Uh, we got our games. we got our daily shows that come out every day. You can check out on goduke.com and also uh, check out our women's broadcast. Chris Edwards does a great job with those, and, and the Carol Austin show is every Monday night from 6 to 7. Um, and you can also catch uh, Inside Duke Basketball with Coach K uh, every Sunday at noon in the Triangle as well on ABC 11. I'm a pitch man now. I'm hearing you do all these spots. I feel like I need to get <laughs> There we go. I love it. David, thank you so much for the time today. This has been a whole lot of fun. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. And that is David Shoemate. He's joining us here today on Lockdown Blue Devils. What a fun show it was for us. Make sure you follow the show on Twitter at LO underscore Blue Devils. I'm on Twitter at underscore JJ underscore Jackson underscore. Watch the Duke game tonight. I think they get back in the win column versus Wake Forest. A whole lot of fun. That's going to do it for today's show. As always, go Duke. I'll talk to you tomorrow. My name is JJ Jackson. Thank you and good day.